Welcome to Red Maryland Radio, the Red Maryland Network's flagship show. Here are your hosts, Brian Griffiths and Greg Klein. And welcome, everybody, to another brand new episode of Red Maryland Radio on the Red Maryland Network, coming to you from the Red Maryland Command. McGrath and Brian Griffiths joining me in the Al Davis studio, the Jim Plunkett studio. That's right. Greg Klein. Hey, it's great to be here, and I love technology, and Brian's going to talk to you for a second. (laughs) While Greg is uh, working to fix some technical problems that we are having right now, we got a lot coming on in uh, tonight's show. We're going to have Neil Parrott, Delegate Neil Parrott, here to start the show, and uh, he'll talk about his involvement in the lawsuit against the Hogan administration as it relates to the COVID-19 restrictions. We're going to talk a little later on about all the governor's vetoes today, all the things that he vetoed today. We're also going to talk a little bit about the National Committee Women's Race in the Maryland Republican Party. And an old friend has resurfaced in Georgia, Greg. And I'm sure everybody will get a nice chuckle when it comes to talk about him. Plus reactions from our announcement last week that we are uh, ending operations on June 4th. But first, we're going to go into our segment regarding COVID-19. Greg is our guest available. Well, he has not logged in yet. Uh, I was just on the... uh, I was just on there. He's received the link, the original link. Oh, here he is. Oh, there you go. There you go. Here we go. Uh, joining us now, our good friend, Red Maryland endorsed for the 6th Congressional District. I should point that out right away. Our friend, longtime conservative stalwart in the Maryland House of Delegates, uh, Neil Parrott. Delegate Parrott, are you there? He will be in a second. Delegate, are you there? There, there he is. I know that guy. <laughs> Can you hear us Okay. Good evening. I don't hear anything yet on my end. Okay. Still, um, okay. You should be able to, uh, he's working on, he loves technology too. I can tell. I think I got it. There you go. Can you hear us? Yes. Excellent. It's great to be here tonight. Well, thanks for joining us. Um, there's a ton of stuff we want to talk to you about. We want to, we don't want to burgle all of your time, but obviously the big news of the week that you were involved in actually started last week, but it's still been in the papers is the lawsuit that was filed in which you're a plaintiff against the governor um, regarding these uh, draconian lockdown measures. Tell us a little bit about how this came about, what the suit is about, and um, and, and go from there. Great. So the lawsuit, uh, really, from the very first day, I saw what was happening. I said, wait a minute, you're going to say that churches can't meet at all? It just didn't make sense to me. It's like, How about the violation of the First Amendment to the United States Constitution, where it says you have the right to assemble, you have the right to freedom of religion and not to be interfered with by the government? Um, So that raised a red flag. Uh, But then as we went on down the path, I saw more and more things come from the governor, um, which just seemed to really not comply with the U.S. Constitution and then also the Maryland Constitution. And so I was in discussions with Delegate Dan Cox and others. And then as we got closer and closer to the time frame, um, it, it really kind of went over the top where we said we really have to do this. Thankfully, Delegate Dan Cox, he's an attorney. He's been working on it the whole time. He just did a phenomenal job, worked with another attorney in Montgomery County. And then one of the reasons why we decided to do it when we did that Saturday was that Delegate Dan Cox was supposed to speak at the reopened Maryland rally in Frederick, where he is. That's his legislative district. And unfortunately, he got word from the Maryland State Police that he shouldn't attend that rally because if he does, they could 
arrest him uh, for up to a year or have a and or have a five thousand dollar fine. And right when he heard that, Delegate Cox went to the governor's staff and said, hey, I'd like to go to go to this rally. He's political free speech. Uh, but they just reiterated the same thing. Said, so, well, if you go, you know, you risk a year in jail and five thousand dollar fine. That was very, very disappointing. Uh, but it was something that said, all right, we need to take action. And thankfully, he was able to file it that day. And, um, you know, there are four delegates actually on the lawsuit. It's um, Robin Grammer, Warren Miller, Delegate Dan Cox and myself, of course, 10 pastors, a couple of business owners and then military people who are not able to get some of the medical procedures that they need at this time. Well, okay, so there's a lot that we want to get to in this. And I know I know you're not a lawyer, right? I don't want to. I am not. I'm an okay. engineer. All right. Yes. Okay. All right. You're not a part of our tribe. I respect that. I want to make sure people know that. <laughs> um, so, so you mentioned you've been working on this for a while. When, when did the, when, when did this start? Uh, I know when the governor put out his orders, there were concerns right away. Understandable. Uh, right. But when did you guys seriously make the uh, make the decision to start moving towards litigation? So that was a couple of weeks before it was actually announced on that Saturday. Okay. So a couple of weeks in advance of that was when the real groundwork started happening towards going forward with the lawsuit. Okay. And we should mention, and, and and I don't have the complaint in front of me, but the other attorney is Neil Garza, if I remember correctly. Am I getting that I think name? It's John Garza, yes. John Garza, excuse me, John. John Garza. So I want to make sure he gets credit as well uh, for this. Um, I, I'm not going to pick your brain for all the legal stuff, but I do want Thank to... <laughs> Because there's a million questions I want to ask. Maybe I did what, serve on Judiciary Committee, so I know a little bit about your lingo. So. Okay, all right. You know our language a little bit. Maybe, <laughs> we, maybe we'll have Delegate Cox on here in the future. Um, now, a couple things. Let's let's be clear. What, so what exactly are you guys challenging uh, in the governor's um, edicts, the governor's orders that have gone out? What specifically are you guys challenging as part of the lawsuit? Well, you know what? I probably like Delegate Dan Cox to speak to the specifics okay. of the lawsuit. But I, I would like to talk about the overall. Please. My overall theme is what I'm seeing the governor do by his actions is it took away freedom from everyday individuals. You know, the lockdown in your house, you had to have permission. I also really didn't like it that we're treating two different classes of people in Maryland. You've got essential employees and non-essential employees. Um, and the essential employees get all the benefits of a regular citizen almost, where the non-essential employees they're basically shut down. If you have a non-essential business, um, sorry about your luck, but you're not allowed to hardly even open. Uh, it's been very, very sad to see so many businesses hurt so badly during this time. Uh, you know, to get down to how ridiculous it had gotten, it was about a week and a half ago now, uh, Governor Hogan came forward and said, now look, if you want to get a haircut, you can, if you're an essential business employee and your employer says, you know what, there's a standard dress code, you really need to have a haircut. You could go ahead and get the haircut anywhere you want in the state as long as they're open. But if you're a non-essential, uh, you know, forget the haircut. You can face up to a year in jail and a $5,000 fine if you're caught getting a haircut because you're a non-essential employee. You know, and my whole life, I've never seen class-centered politics. But this is certainly dividing our country into two different classes, certainly our state. I just don't think it's right. Um, yeah, I mean, I so you're, we we made that point a couple of weeks ago when it came out, and 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 by the way, you you know as well when the governor made this closing of essential businesses, even though it was based on some general federal guidelines, there was a lot of 
jockeying and lobbying that was going on and the list got extended later in the day when it got announced and you know it was and when you talked about because we talked about the haircut thing because i think you're so dead on about this being a class thing essential employee and by the way how many people have to have a certain haircut to work i've i don't know how many people would qualify for that but we, you know, I would say that pastors would, right? Because every week they're in front of their congregation on Zoom. I, w- I would think so. You know, so. they're not essential, so they can't get the haircut. I- exactly. <laughs> and, and you know, and, and essential, they try to present it as, well, these are the frontline people. These are doctors. and Well, it's also, you know, every bank teller, every lawyer is considered essential under it. I mean, you know, I could I could write myself a note and get one. God knows I probably should, but... But uh, you just got to know a guy, Greg. You just got to know a guy? Is that it? Is that That's what it is? So I, I, I absolutely feel you. Uh, on that, let me ask you this though: You guys have filed this. The reaction from the governor's office, from some of the governors, um, from some of our friends on our side right, of things right. who support the governor, uh, was pretty vicious. They were attacking the complaint as sloppy and having all these uh, mistakes in it and all this kind of stuff. Um, kind of, kind of giving it the back of a hand, saying you guys aren't serious. Um, what has been the reaction you've gotten personally, and how have you addressed that sort of thing? Well, a lot of the people that have supported Governor Hogan, of course, I helped Governor Hogan get elected both times. I campaigned for him, put out his yard signs, you know, in advance of the election, on the election, worked very, very hard so that he would win. You know, obviously, he worked a lot harder. It's his campaign. Um, but I was able to help. Uh, a lot of people who are conservatives are very, very concerned about the direction of our state and our country right now that our freedoms are being limited and they see this lawsuit for what it is. It's, it's standing up for everyday Marylanders and saying, this is not something that we can allow to become a precedent for future governors to be able to do, take these same kind of actions. It's also not something that we want to condition Marylanders to say, well, it's the governor. We just have to do whatever the governor says. And that's kind of what's happening right now without any check from the legislature, the judiciary branch hasn't been brought in. I mean, no one, except for the governor's making these laws. And he's saying, well, I'm making these laws based on meeting with the, the experts in the field. Well, that's great. But our society was not built on one person having power. You know, there's been that saying, and I'm not going to say it right, but it's power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. So now you said we, it right. You're right. All right, good. Lord <laughs> so, Acton would be proud. Yes, you got it. So we can't allow that. All this power in one hand. And that's that's the reason for the lawsuit. It's really a, an upper level look at what's happening right now and not to let this happen again yeah there's actually a statement from the clinton administration um somebody actually in the administration actually said power corrupts but absolute power is really neat um so to that end um what's kind of the end game here for the lawsuit you mentioned precedent and Mm -hmm. uh how you want to make sure that there is some sort of precedent established against this if the governor released the um you know released the restrictions or some of the restrictions tomorrow if he actually gave you everything that you asked for in the lawsuit would you still continue to pursue the litigation in order to establish that precedent in court well if it was up to me i would because that's it's all about precedent now i'm not an attorney so i don't know what the lawyers on our side would decide to do or if they're even allowed to if it would become moot at that point because it's gone away but if it's not, I, I think we need to move forward uh, and allow people to know this is just not something that's appropriate. We shouldn't just blindly accept whatever the governor says. Um, you know, and in this case, the governor, Hogan, I believe he's got the best intentions for all of Maryland out there. He really does want to keep people safe. He's really trying to do the best job that he can. And I respect that. Um, but I think it's the way that it's happening 
without going through the legislature, without going and getting the actual approvals. And, and even some of these things, even the legislature can't do. The legislature can't violate the First Amendment to the United States Constitution. We can't violate the Maryland Constitution or the Declaration of Rights, which is in the Maryland Constitution. And unfortunately, some of the rules that have been set up, in particular looking at churches or setting up two different classes of businesses, interfering with commerce, to me that does interfere with, with those founding documents that we need to follow and that are higher law than the regular law that would be set up by the legislators. Yeah, I mean, I, th- there's no question, even if even if you're someone who agrees with the, what the governor is doing or the policy behind it, there's no denying that our most basic fundamental civil rights have been completely suspended uh, by the governor's orders. And this is not something particularly as conservatives we should feel good about at all and want to see in as short a duration and scope as possible. So I'm glad you guys are are challenging this. Let's talk a little bit about where we are on this. I know the governor has has opened up some things. I think I'm curious to get your take on it. I think some things he could have done a couple weeks ago. I know you guys in the in the sure. legislature were asking him to do in the Republican caucus. Sure. He decided to do while still kind of saving face on wanting the full 14 days or whatever. Um, but I'm also hearing, and this is a long question, so I apologize. I want to get, want to get the full thing. When you talk about the churches, um, that we're not going, according to the governor's plan that you guys have been briefed on that's been released to the public, I don't think most people realize this yet. The governor's not going uh, under his plan. He's not going to let people back into church, even with restrictions, until September. Is that what you're hearing? Yeah. So, I mean, you're right. Phase one of the plan, they're looking to try and do that by Memorial Day. Uh, and then phase two, there's no set date. Um, but his health advisor throughout the date, September, uh, that we hope that phase two could be in by, by Labor Day, which obviously is the beginning of September. And then who knows what phase three would be. They're thinking towards the end of the year right. if things don't regress. Um, now, I w- my guess is that it wouldn't be September. My guess is that it would be July for phase two if things continue to improve, just based on what I'm seeing, how the governor's acted, um, uh, making these different decisions. Now, I do want to say what he did earlier this week made a lot of sense. Look, people should have been able to play tennis, and now they can legally. That's good. Uh, she go- should have been able to go golfing, and now they can legally. Um Boating, that just made sense to let people get out. Now, it's interesting. Part of our lawsuit was a, a, an owner of a recreational vehicle park, the KOA campgrounds, and they had been shut down, treated totally different than hotels because they were saying you're non-essential, you have to close. Uh, and then, they, of course, they had to backtrack on that because some people, that's the only place they have to live is right there. All they have is a trail. They don't have a house. That, that's where they are. And so they backtracked and said, well, if you're there permanently, you can stay. Um, but some people just travel across the country. And, and need a place to stay. So I think that should have been treated as essential. If, if you're going to go to that route, essential, non-essential, from the very, very beginning. And unfortunately, it wasn't. But thankfully, Governor Hogan reversed that in the announcement this week, um, which does help with that one aspect of the lawsuit. Do you think one of the issues that I think people are having, obviously, other than the legal challenge, uh, and I think Greg kind of pointed this out earlier, is that the tone that we have seen from the administration has been kind of all over the place. Um, you know, particularly, as, as Greg said, dismissive of the lawsuit, dismissive of comments Congressman Harris made. I know there was a statement that was made uh, about people going out of state, um, you know, and them being in violation of the executive order. It was a statement they really didn't need to make. And quite frankly, lost a lot of moderates there. Do you think a lot of what um, we're dealing with now could have been addressed by tone? 
Um, or do you think that no matter what happens, um, it was the orders themselves or what have caused such the discomfort, such the um, distaste for what the governor is doing? Well, I think um, certainly the governor cares about our state. He's trying to do his best. He doesn't like to be challenged because he's trying. He believes, of course, that he's doing what's best for the state. And so he wants to make sure that we're not challenging his protective orders or trying to keep everybody safe. And he's come down hard on some people. And th- that may have been necessary. Uh, maybe people would have gone out if they hadn't cracked down a little bit. Um, but I believe the orders themselves have just simply not been legal. And so whether he had different tone or not, um, the fact that we shut down the churches, we're not going to open the churches, uh, that just doesn't make sense. And to Grace's point earlier, uh, with the churches, uh, phase one, when that does come into place, churches, the only thing that changes is that they can meet outside as long as they maintain social distancing. So no inside churches, not until phase two, which is until September. And even phase two, when it goes there, there are going to be some very strict guidelines. You know, it's even been talked about that they would have a service, then they'd have to do a deep clean of the whole sanctuary before the next service. And yet that seems so counterproductive because you need to have four or five different services so they can spread out the number of people in the churches if it's kind of full. You know, Walmart doesn't do deep cleaning every single half an hour. Okay, now we're going to let the next group of people in it. I don't think it's fair to treat churches totally different than you're treating other businesses. Well, let's talk about that because you talked about class earlier. I mean, one of the things, and it's not just in Maryland, we're seeing it nationally with this, is that, and and of course in our politics, culture war gets into everything. But one of the things that you hear uh, from the from a lot of the uh, elitist uh, expert type people, these really smart folks, the governor keeps telling us, went to Johns Hopkins, who mm-hmm. have who are advising him. Um, they really see the churches as kind of a nexus of spreading this disease. I know there was an article in the New York Times a couple months ago that was making that exact point. It 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 does seem. And it's really odd when we see the governor, a guy we all know very well, who we have all supported before he was governor when he mm-hmm. ran both times, a guy who's a very uh, d- devout Catholic himself, who was very effusive when he met the Pope when he was battling cancer, um, t- t- to see this governor so seemingly so comfortable shutting down churches. And by the way, uh, even when we have these openings that you're talking about, um, even if a small group of Christians wanted to have a wanted to have a celebration of the Lord's Supper, that's still illegal. And as you point out, any violation of these orders is punishable by five thousand dollar fine or a year in jail. Um, to have that sort of just unfathomable suspension of of free exercise of religion from this governor, I, I just still have a hard time wrapping my head around it. And I and I, my guess is. Are there people, and I know you're making this point, and this is a big point of the lawsuit, it's a big point of what the congressman was saying. Are there people close to the governor who have his ear who are making this point? Oh, I would hope that there are. Um, but I'm not sure. To me, it sounds like he's listening really just to the medical community almost alone. Um, I mean, there are other people who are there. I know Bob Neal is talking to him a great deal. But again, that's from the health aspect and you know if you're a health person and that's all you care about well then you wouldn't want people to get together at all if you can help it if everybody stays in their houses for the rest of their lives then um we wouldn't have that many diseases but that's just not reality we have to be out working we can't this is a whole different aspect about to hit right now but we can't shut down the economy and expect to be okay as a nation we're just not going to be okay we're at unemployment levels now that have reached the great depression levels and this is just completely unacceptable unsustainable 
not only have we spent two trillion dollars in the first kind of bailout to taxpayers, then we came around with about another trillion. But at the end of this year, because of the lack of taxes that we're taking in, we're going to lose four trillion dollars just right there. I mean, this is trillions of dollars. And this is debt that we just can't afford to take. At some point, we're going to be close to the level of debt where Greece was when they started to default. And, you know, I'm sure that some socialists would actually like that to happen because they want to see the capitalist society kind of go away. But what's best for our nation and for our people um, and really for the whole world is that we would continue to do well. We can't simply have businesses just not working. They've got to come back to work. And that's another reason why I joined the lawsuit. Let's talk about the economics you mentioned. They're talking about right. jobs, talking about a potential depression. And I think that your echo of the woods out in the, the, the Western Maryland counties are kind of more yeah. susceptible to this because they're still falling under Maryland's orders, whereas they border West Virginia, they border Pennsylvania, where things are starting to open up a little bit. How have you seen so far the pandemic and the governor's orders affect those businesses? And how much worse do you think it's going to get for them if Maryland remains closed while the states around them, which are, as everybody knows, is not that far away, start to open up? No, that's a huge problem. We, from day one, uh, I went to governor's office. This was before they closed anything. They announced they were going to start closing things. And I I wrote, well, I I actually drafted a letter that we didn't drop because the next day he actually made the order. But I already talked to his officials and said, please consider not closing Western Maryland. At that point, Frederick to the West, there were no cases of COVID-19 at all. And I said, leave our restaurants, leave our taverns open until such a time when you actually have to close them and treat the the state a little bit differently. Um, And we just actually made a letter that we submitted this week, yesterday, from Garrett County, Allegheny County, Washington County to the governor saying, Please do regionalization. We need it. We need to get our businesses open. It's just not hard hitting here. Look at Garrett County. They think they've got like seven cases. Like it's very, very, very minimal. Um, and you're right to your point. West Virginia they opened up on Monday, um, and it's interesting. You go down there. I've not been there myself recently, but other people have, and they've said it's it's as if there's COVID nineteen is not even around. Everything's acting normal. Um, and so, how is that going to affect our business? I've talked to them and. They're losing, you know, they still have to pay rent, but they're not having the income. And so if they didn't have any savings, those people will never open up again. They're already done. But even for those who had savings and had a great business, they can only stay closed a certain amount of time. They can't go indefinitely. One business owner I talked to said he's got two more months from right now, and then he's done. I mean, it's it's devastating to the, to the businesses all across the state, but in particular, Western Maryland. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that, that's a great point. Another one, I mean... This governor, when he ran for re-election, ran on a record of creating 170,000 odd jobs in his first term. This was a big accomplishment. We had 100,000 unemployed last week alone. We're 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 very close to half a million unemployed in a month because of because of these orders. I know that this was a reaction to what's going on, but this was a direct action of the governor. And so I wanted to get wanted to get your thought about. Um, I mean, and, and even when the governor waits another week, you know, another week is another 40, 50,000 people who are going to lose their jobs. It's more and more businesses that go out. Time is such a factor here. Um, I wanted to give uh, give you a chance to to talk about uh, – uh, there's a lot of things I want to talk to you about. Neil, we could keep you here all night. We're not going to do that, I promise you. Um, but what is your sense about 
when this is over and when you guys reconvene in January, assuming you don't convene before then, right. um, and, and we're going to talk about your congressional race, too. So hope so hopefully you move up, move up the, the chain there a little bit. But um, how do you think the state's going to be able to react to this and grow out of this with the devastation to the budget, with the job losses um, and with all the restrictions we have in Maryland on growing the economy in the first place, we had to fight and scratch for those 170,000 jobs in four years. How, how, how hard is it going to be for us to come back out of this? It's going to be a challenge. There's no doubt about it. What I, one thing I was very encouraged that the governor did today, you probably saw, is he vetoed a bunch of the really bad bills that passed. Current commission, thankful he vetoed it. It needs to go away. It was crazy. And I really appreciate what Red Maryland did. You exposed it for what it was very early on. And then you let us know who voted for it, who voted against it. I was surprised by some of those votes. Uh, but so I'm, sure there are reasons. But, uh, but, um, I'm really thankful. The governor vetoed that today. That had to happen. He also vetoed this tax. I called it the COVID-19 tax on like Netflix and all that, that needed to go away. I was thankful uh, that he vetoed that. And I know he vetoed some other things as well. Um, we are going to have to take serious steps to try and get our economy back on. If you look at the debt from Maryland, we have a debt that's already very, very high. And every single year we kept raising it. Um, when you looked at property taxes, it's supposed to be able to pay for the debt and the interest on the debt, but it's not. And it hasn't kept track of that anywhere close to that recently. And it's if you look at the chart, it's more and more and more of our debt and interest on the debt is going to come from the general funds. So we were already spending way too much and having the state of Maryland live too large. And it's going to be hard to cut it back, but we're going to have to if we want to balance this budget or we're going to have to have huge tax increases, which, you know, I'd be completely opposed to because um, that's the tax increases. Then they're just going to send more and more people out of the state, more businesses out of state and make it harder for those that were hard hit to keep going. Well, Greg mentioned your congressional race. Obviously, what um, you know, you know, obviously this affects your entire congressional district. Obviously, uh, and I know that you're not doing this. Uh, you're not involved in the lawsuit. You don't. You don't. You're prioritizing the lawsuit and and what the lawsuit means over your run for Congress. I know that you're doing that. How has this and the entirety of this pandemic, though, how has that affected your campaigning? How has that affected your strategy? And do you think the lawsuit is going to help you or hurt you running against David Trone in the general election? I think those are all great questions. You know, as far as whether it hurts or helps, uh, you know, I just had to make a decision and I try to do every decision like this. Is it the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do? And, uh, you know, Dan Cox was putting himself, Delegate Dan Cox, he was putting himself out there. And, you know, I had talked to several other people, constitutional attorneys, and the more I studied it, the more I looked at it, I was completely convinced that the edicts that have been coming from the governor's office are just simply not legal, and they need to be stood up against. So I was very thankful to be able to be a part of the lawsuit. I think at the very end, um, you know, moderates may not understand it. Liberals certainly don't understand it. It's going to be hard to bring them over um, to understand it. But that's not the only thing I'm going to be working on. Uh, it has definitely affected my campaign, the whole COVID-19. You know, normally I, well, I had been door knocking for the past three weekends before it happens. And I was, I had this, this plan to door knock all across. We had already had several counties in the five county district. Um, but that had to completely stop. We had a, a parade, a, a St. Patrick's Day parade that we were just about to participate in. And actually, that was that Saturday. 
Uh, of course, that was canceled, unfortunately. Uh, and then, of course, Memorial Day parades and other things. So outside activities, door knocking, that's all changed. So I have to rely now more on emails and Facebook and uh, contacting voters by phones or different methods. You know, I still want to reach out to voters. So they need to know that there is an election going on. Uh, they need to have good education as to who's running. Of course, let them know about me and why I'm running, why I think it would be good for me to be there in the district. But it has completely changed the game plan for the election. And even today we were having a campaign meeting and we were just saying, well, when can we door knock again? And I was like, well, I don't know that we can uh, until November. Um, you know, probably at the earliest, we're looking at Labor Day. Right. Well, Delegate, you've been very generous with your time. We, we'd love to have you back soon. We were happy to endorse you for Congress. For people who want to get more information about your campaign, where can they go to get more information? So they can just go on the line, on web. It's um, parrots2020.org. It's um, P-A-R-R-O-T-T, 2020.org. So parrots2020.org. And before I go, Greg and Brian, I know you guys are shutting this thing down. And I just want to let you know, I have appreciated you. I've been in office now for about 10 years, and you guys are fantastic. You've been rock solid conservatives the whole time. Um, and I just appreciate, I mean, I know a little bit of the effort that you put in every single week. You're doing this. You put on that conference in January. And I just want to give you kudos and say thank you for serving Maryland for all this time. It's, it's a huge deal. I'm sorry to see you go, um, but I do understand it. And I just want to say thank you. Well, we appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you very much. And, and we feel very much the same about you for all the good stuff that you do in Annapolis for a long time. So thank you as well. Thank you. Delegate Neil Parrott, thanks a lot for joining us, and we will talk to you again soon. Sounds good. All right. Why don't we go ahead, Greg, and we'll pull this ship into port and take a break. We'll reset, and we'll move into We'll move out of coronavirus stuff, and we'll move into the fun stuff. We'll talk about the politics and everything going on. Stick with us. You are listening to Red Maryland Radio on the Red Maryland Network. Hi, this is Brian Griffiths, the founder of Maryland Podcast Month. Maryland Podcast Month was founded in 2018 to draw attention to all of the great podcasts and podcasters here in Maryland. And during this time of social distancing, there is no better time to start learning more about locally produced podcasts. Shows like my podcast, Red Maryland Radio, Eye on Annapolis, The Conduit Street Podcast, JB's Drive-In Podcast, The Maryland Crabs, Quality Time, The Society Fringe Players, and more are still putting out fresh content. Visit MarylandPodcastMonth.com to learn more about these great Maryland podcasts. That's MarylandPodcastMonth.com. And we thank you for your support of local content. Come on, there are plenty of amazing women politicians. Name one. Uh, Senator Hillary Rodham Clinton? Awful. How is she awful? Hates freedom. Wherever you are, whatever you do. I thought we were going to wait for the German. No, no, we don't have to do that. We we got a lot oh, to get through. Okay. Sorry, we don't have time all right. for all that. Nonsense. I was I was waiting, and nope, the nope. sands are running out of the hourglass, my friend. We have to. Uh, <laughs> we only have so many of these shows left. So that's true. Hey, I'm Brian. He's Greg. Welcome back. Yeah, and thank you again to Delegate Parrot, who's great. We, I mean, we could have him on for an hour every week. I mean, he's one of the good ones. He's one of the ones that doing what we do it makes it worthwhile. I wish we had fifty of them. 
It would be nice. It would be. It would be, nice. be a lot better state, too, I can tell you that. So let's talk about vetoes and yes. rules passing today. Today was the 30th day. Yes. Uh, that the governor had to pass or to sign or veto or allow to pass into law the bills um, that that were going to be allowed to be passed in the law. And a lot of the high-profile stuff, the stuff that you wanted or that, that, that a reasonable person, a conservative, would want to be vetoed, got vetoed. Right. Kerwin Commission, vetoed. Vetoed, yes. The long gun bill, vetoed. Yes. Um, tax bills, the tobacco tax, vetoed. The digital sales tax, ve- the digital taxes, yes. vetoed. Yeah. Um, the only thing, the only bill that was passed that was really financial in nature, which is disappointing, is the Pimlico bill, right. um, the bond bill for Pimlico. And we'll talk, we could talk more about that in a second. Um, he allowed that to pass without his signature. Right. Um, and realistically, as far as I know, Greg, he didn't actually sign any bills. That's he just correct. allowed a, a his whole annou- castle of them to pass without his signature. Frankly, I like the way that he did. I hope this becomes a new tradition. I know it won't. But he just basically on the last day, just, you know, bomb drop. I'm vetoing this. I'm letting this in. Done. <laughs> you know, and it's like three letters because he grouped them out because he also vetoed um, some of the bad legislation with regard to criminal justice and some of the mm-hmm. some of the other things they were doing that were actually counterproductive. Um, and in his uh, in his letter, which was very curt and very short and very to the point because the man is busy doing other things. Um, he said, look, I wanted you to pass these things. It got out of the Senate easily. House never did it. I'm vetoing all your crap. And <laughs> and, um, you know, th- I mean, look, that's the Larry Hogan that we like. That's the Larry Hogan we want to see all the time. I mean, you know, stop letting us not go to church and, and keep doing this stuff. So so I I also want to say just because we're not talking about COVID anymore. But first off, good on the governor for doing these things. We can talk about the. Pimlico thing. He was always behind part of that deal, and it goes through this Maryland Stadium Authority, and it's a terrible deal for a lot of reasons. But it's not as egregious as some of these other things. And he doesn't want to be the governor who presides over the over the Preakness leaving Pimlico. So I don't think anybody's shocked by his decision on that. Uh, but you know, Tuesday of this week, um, before the governor had his press conference and then his vetoes today, you know, Ocean City was opening up and. And the governor's office was. By the way, did you see the pictures of the traffic going down to Ocean City today? I believe it. I believe it. You know, it's governor's office. Well, you know, stay at order still applies, implying that there might be some confrontation that maybe the state police would be arresting people. The governor, thank God, came to his senses, did the really smart thing yesterday, and said, you know what? That's fine that they do that, but hey, you know what? Why don't I go ahead and open the beaches as well? So, you know, so it looks like so he kind of leaned into it because it was going to be huge traffic, people going down there and it was going to be this huge confrontation. And I think, you know, last week I talked a little bit. There's a little glimmer of hope. He, you know, as as Delegate Parrott said, a lot of this stuff should have been done weeks ago. There was no sense when you had when you had uh, hospitals furloughing medical professionals because they were they didn't have anything to do because we weren't doing these other procedures. There was no reason not to do those. Um, so I'm glad I'm glad the governor did that. But even in his press conference, and I don't want to dwell on this because this is not a COVID segment, but it leads into the political stuff, which is why I bring it up. 
he talked about how he went to his team of expert, really, really smart experts. I don't know why he keeps ins- needing to tell us that they're really smart. Um, that he went to them and said, what can we do now? You know, what are things we can do before we have the full 14 days or whatever? Which, if you know the governor a little bit and you read between the lines, was <laughs> we got to do something to protect our phony baloney jobs here, people. <laughs> uh, and it's got to look like I'm not I'm not turning tail on this. Um, and, you know, not too busy going on, uh, you know, Barstool Sports and, and um, uh, the, the Daily Show. Um, and, and I think he did. Look, this is there, it wasn't anywhere near enough. It's not anywhere near, in the big picture. It's still not enough. But there was some of that adroit a hint that maybe he's getting it a little bit. And I feel a heck of a lot better on Thursday with the governor than I did on Tuesday, even though overall I'm still not real happy. Yeah, Greg told me before the show started that if we had did this on show on Tuesday, it would have been a much different show. Yeah. Um, and that's just stating a fact, Mike. Go ahead. Oh, I lost. I did, Brian, I did not do that. For all of you who want to opine that I dropped uh, Brian, that did not happen. He just disappeared. He just plum disappeared. Um, <laughs> I assume he'll come back. This will be fun. All right, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to take another quick break, and then we're going to come back with Brian. You're listening to, I love this. I love technology. Yes, I love technology. You're listening to Red Maryland Radio here on the Red Maryland Network. Hi, this is Brian Griffiths, the founder of Maryland Podcast Month. Maryland Podcast Month was founded in 2018 to draw attention to all of the great podcasts and podcasters here in Maryland. And during this time of social distancing, there is no better time to start learning more about locally produced podcasts. Shows like my podcast, Red Maryland Radio, I on Annapolis, the Conduit Street Podcast, JB's Drive-In Podcast, the Maryland Crabs, Quality Time, the Society Fringe Players, and more are still putting out fresh content. Visit MarylandPodcastMonth.com to learn more about these great Maryland podcasts. That's MarylandPodcastMonth.com. And we thank you for your support of local content. Hey, guess who's back? Yeah, unlike Catal- uh, Catalina Bird, I didn't actually like just disconnect myself and try to blame you for it. Okay, all right. Or blame me for it. Right. Okay, all right. What uh, happened? You, I don't know what happened, man. It was just boom. Okay. It's a sign from the heavens that, you know what, maybe it's time to bring the show into port. Maybe. Maybe this is the sign. He's given us plenty of signs. We'll talk about that in the next break or when we get into it. So, okay, yeah. so I, I, when you were out. I heard everything you said, actually. Okay, I, was, I, I was able to see it. I was just not there. Okay, all right. Well, hey, you know, something, something to think about in the future. Um, so so I, I spoke my piece, so it's, it's up to you. What did you think uh, of these vetoes and, and everything else that went on this week? Now, obviously, I, one, I, 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 I agree with you. I think every governor should do this from now on. I mean, you sign the stuff you like. If the stuff that, you know, you're less excited about, just let it go and put it in a list and whatever. Right. And then just, you know, carpet bomb veto things that are terrible. Um, yeah. I think it's obvious that the governor was was going to veto Kerwin. Yes. I think it was obvious he was going to veto the taxes. Yes. And he I had, think it was he obvious. He hinted at that, yeah. Yeah. It was less obvious that he was going to veto HB4. I think that, st- that surprised me positively, um, just based on the number of gun laws in the past he has let slide without his signature. Wasn't so the it, fact that he vetoed certain. that, um, a cynic 
would argue he is positioning himself for 2024. Um, well, but I don't, I don't think that's the case. Okay. A cynic would have to ignore a lot of other things going on, but it was a step in the right direction in, in, right. in a vacuum. It was let's, let's throw these guys above. Cause let's be honest on Tuesday of this week, all the Republicans in the legislature were telling him he's not doing enough. I mean, right. you even had Nick Kipke on BAL. I don't know if you listened to it um, with C4, who doesn't like me for some reason, um, talking about how the governor wasn't going for it. And Nick is the ultimate team player. Nick is not going to go oh, yeah. on and criticize oh, yeah. the governor on BAL unless every Republican is doing that. And I and, you know, I again, I think I think all the governor ended up doing was throwing him some bones. But at least he did that. You know, t- Tuesday, he was still calling the calling Congressman Harris strange and saying crazy things and you know he was kind of hinting that that he's going to send the state police out if people try to go to the beach at Ocean City and you know I kind of tweeted at the time how did we come to this this is insane um and I think the governor maybe this was in the works I have to think so but maybe he got the message and and kicked some butts and made a little bit of a there again Nowhere near enough, and he's and uh, you know I, I think there's some pride involved in him not ending this thing. But let me throw this out to you as well. She sure. said he needs to see the trend, the trend which is kind of vaguely defined. There aren't specific metrics that he's looking at. Um, but if this vague trend continues to be flat, then we'll open up next week. Do you think, barring now, obviously if there's a huge spike, which I don't think anybody really anticipates, do you do you foresee any circumstance? Where the governor doesn't open up next week at this point? Well, you heard Delegate Parrot on the segment before talking about Memorial Day. So, I mean, I don't know. I I think that uh, I think to an extent, right? That there ha- either he's going to announce that we're open by next weekend, or he's going to announce by next weekend what day we are opening, and that day will be before Memorial Day. Um, I think you can. I think if it gets Memorial Day and people are still stuck in their houses, that's when you're really going to see. Like, yeah. you're not you're not going to see the cosplayer patriots out there. You're going to see the right. people who are actually like mad as hell and they're not going to take it anymore. Yeah, um, I mean the idea you know, that we can't go into a church. All the things we talked about with Delegate Barrett. The idea that right. we can't do that until September. I mean. I, you're, how how do you not have riots in the streets? I mean, and look, I, yeah, I mean, look, I, I I think that we are look. I, here's what I know. Um, I know the archdiocese of Baltimore. You know, obviously a Catholic. The thing that matters to me um, right. is not going to make ma- They're not going to release the dispensation from mass until probably phase three, um, based on social distancing guidelines that may or may not be in place based on people's health, based on the fact that let's face it, a lot of um, a lot of Catholic parishioners are at high risk for getting this. They are in the high risk. Population. Well, that's that, that's their internal thing. But don't right, you think, point, don't you think the right archbishop point. can make a call to the governor? I mean, isn't that well, how you guys really work in the great papers? Conspiracy? I'm point. sorry. I'm sorry. My, my point being <laughs> is the fact that I think if you did open things up, I think people are you're not going to see everybody run to church at once. I don't think you are going to see panic in the streets. I think you are going to see people make decisions that are relative uh, and reasonable for their family. Some people are going to stay home. Some people are going to try to get about their lives the best that they can. I don't think anybody 
is suggesting that we go back to basically the way the world was March 5th right now. Nobody suggested. I don't think anybody is saying Well, I'm somebody on Facebook is saying it. Okay. But, Fair enough. Um, Fair enough. I'll give you that. You know how that is. Yeah. But, um, you know, obviously masks are important. Social right. distancing is important. Right. Um, you know, don't be an idiot is important, but even though it's not an executive order. And that's the ones people struggle with the most. Um, you know, I, I don't think there's going to be panic in the streets. I don't think you're going to all of a sudden see a thousand people go down to Hooters trying to get, you know, trying to get served. Um, you know, I think you're going to see a, a I, I don't rational either, but reasonable response from the I don't people. either, but I think if you work, if you owe to Hooters, that, you know, that's not the worst case scenario. No, I think you're right. People are but which, which, which goes to the point that we don't need this draconian shutdown. Okay, the, the question comes down to, do you think that people have some sense of ordered liberty and people are going to make intelligent choices? In other words, can we be trusted with freedom or does the governor think that we can't be trusted with? Certainly people on the other side of this argument, if you look at people, you know, who were who in my timeline, who were saying the governor's doing a great job. These are people who would never vote for the governor, who are far left, you know, secular progressives who are glad the governor's doing what we're doing and without getting into the prism of tribalism and all that kind of stuff, um, you know, it, it was really, it is really disconcerting to see the governor be at odds with uh, folks like us, folks like Delegate Parrott, every member of the Republican caucus um, who are his allies, even though we understand the coalition goes beyond us, um, and, and, and getting kudos from, you know, um, the, the, you know, MSNBC and that ilk and the far left progressives. I mean, that that all, somebody ought to be telling him this isn't quite right. But we've we've hammered on that enough. There's other there's other right. political news that we want to get to before we get to the craziness in our own comment section. So go. Ahead. <laughs> um, let's talk first before we move on to some of the other political news. Let's, let's kind of circle back to talk about the vetoes. Yeah, there are, all, there are Democrats. Democrats are already pissing and moaning about this stuff. It's like the Democrats in the general assembly. I shouldn't say all Democrats. It's like a lot of Democrats in the general assembly seem to not realize that we are in an economic calamity and that there is a 15% anticipated reduction of state revenues just in the first quarter, the fourth quarter of fiscal year 2020 to say nothing of what fiscal year 2021 is going to bring. And they are, you know, gnashing their teeth. Right. That the governor is not blowing up the budget to make the teachers union happy. Right. And, you know, the, I know there have been talks about a special session. There have been talks about, you know, guaranteed veto overrides of the Kerwin Commission bill and the taxes. I would like to believe that the Democrats are not so politically stupid that they're going to come back in January and start overriding vetoes on massive, ridiculous, wasteful spending bills and override vetoes on draconian and massive tax hikes on a populace that's already suffering and of which half a million people are have been unemployed uh, if they're not still unemployed right. in the previous year. I can't imagine Democrats are so beholden to the teachers union that they are willing to jump on that grenade. Well, I, that being said, though, ahead, I have seen Democrats do stupid things like that before. Yeah, I, I, I think that I, I'd love to agree with you. If they were really smart, they would come back, start from scratch, come up with a more modest bill that, that 
you know, backloads that spending and get it in the works anyway. That would be the smart thing to do. I think what they'll try to do is lean on these changes that were made at the end, lean on, frankly, the fact that it had wide bipartisan support in the state Senate and and that it has some fiscal controls. I, to I that think- end, by the way, I, I would like to believe that the six state senators, the six Republican state senators, or the Republican state senators, rather, right. who made the wrong choice. Right. Now that they get a mulligan are going to do the right thing this time. Oh, I, I think they've already said, even before any of this happened, I think they already said they'll support the veto. The, right. the problem is, by voting for it in the first place, they, they weaken the hand of the argument of course. to do that. Um, so so I, now, I think if they wait till January, we see where they are. Yes, I think it would be a mistake politically to vote for tax increases and huge spending we don't have at a time where our budget's going to be broken and we've got... Hundreds of thousands still by that point out of work, most likely. Um, Whether, you know, because there's a lot of things that could happen. I mean, we have seen them do these kinds of things in the past um, and come up with other zany ideas. So, I mean, this wouldn't be out of the But I think so. But doing a special session, I think that's just talk. I don't think they're in any rush to jump off the cliff. I think they want to at least take the chance that by then. Something will happen that there'll be a big bailout oh, from that Congress. Would be, that would be the Democrats, Thelma and Louise moment. Yeah. I mean, that's that's, yeah. I, that's so. Them so just... it's OK for somebody to ask for that and the progressives to ask for that, knowing it's not going to happen. But I don't see Bill Ferguson or Adrian uh, Jones. Um, I think Speaker Jones about. might. I think Ferguson's. She'd be I, more I likely. Ferg- She'd be more likely. I agree. Yeah, I think Ferguson's. You know, Ferguson obviously is much farther to the left than Mike Miller ever was, but Ferguson is a lot more, I think, savvy to he's read the tea leaves. He's trying to be. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's trying to um, be. You know, and that's I, I obviously this, you know, when you talk of the Senate vis a vis the House, that's how it's supposed to work. Um, but, well, it's how it works, whether it's supposed to be or not. So, I mean, we'll see. Well, but that's, that's true. That's somebody else's problem. We're going to be gone by then. The, the duck pen can cover that. I, you know. <laughs> Sign up now. Duckpen.com. Facebook.com slash the duck pen. Twitter at the duck pen. There you go. So I had to get that plug in there. That's right. Well, um, I set you up for it. So it's fine. Hey, and we have, we have, we have people who are signing up to participate. Wonderful. So who will Wonderful. be writers. So if you want to write, let me know. Wonderful. Um, so let's now let's a talk, couple other things we want to talk about. Go ahead. Let's talk about something that's hilarious. Let's talk about Congress and let's talk about co- a congressional race in Georgia. Now, you'd be wondering yourself, Brian, why the hell are you talking about a congressional race in Georgia? Well, if you read redmaryland.com, you would already know that our dear, close, personal friend, Charles Lawler, is running for Congress in the great state of Georgia as an independent right. running on social justice. Like I, I, I couldn't make this up if I tried. Now let's go to some backstory, okay? Charles Lawler was born in Georgia. He moved up to Maryland for reasons I don't really know why he moved up to Maryland. But Charles Lawler moved up to Maryland in 2009 and was going to run for governor. Problem? He or 2005, I think it was. He was going to run for governor. Problem? He didn't meet the residency requirements in order to run for governor. Blame the state board of elections, by the way, for why he was disqualified. Ran for Congress instead. He was a rock star in certain segments of the party, and uh, he ran a respectable race for Congress in 2010. Started a running for governor. Um, if you go back in the archives, you can read all sorts of fun stuff about his race for governor, including the hilarious draft campaign that 
Ah, we lost him again. I think it's Charles Lawler who's getting involved in that. Uh, and now I'm stuck here and can't make this bigger. What is going on here? Uh, I love technology, guys. I really do. Anyway, Brian, uh, I, I was critical of Charles Lawler at the time. I'm not surprised he's car he's gone back to Georgia to do this thing. Uh, Brian has always kind of made a project out of him, uh, so he's a little more fired. Let me have Brian back here. Let me. He's back. He's back. Almost. There he is. There you are. I think your Comcast internet really sucks. Don't blame me. Don't blame me. Um, How dare you? So he ran for governor, uh, uh, tried to run for governor right. uh, in 2010, ran for governor in 2013. There's actually a hilarious interview on uh, on redmaryland.com. You go back in the archives about us interviewing him about his draft campaign at an event promoted by his draft campaign. And nobody to this day has still explained how that sausage got made but whatever rolled out of rolled out of a um rolled out a van that had that was misspelled roll you know, the worst republican statewide campaign i think we've ever seen managed to get 13 percent of the vote took three positions on is on on issues like the purple line and marijuana and stuff like that and then after that after he got blown out of the governor's race he then managed to run for county commissioner in Charles County, a Republican withdrew from the race so he could get nominated to run for right. county commissioner Correct. down there. Apparently didn't do much work, um, got blown got blown out there. Charles Lawler is the only person in Maryland history to run for two offices in the same year and lose both of them. And he was not long for Maryland after that. Not too long after the election, he uh, he packed up and went back to Georgia. And nobody had really heard hide or hair of him since. And it just so happened I I came upon a website that said Charles Lawler for Congress. And there he was running for Congress. Very slickly produced videos. Very nice production values. Right. Not a whole lot of substance guy. there. What's that? Telegenic guy. And people oh, he's always... always been a great speaker. A very yeah. telegenic guy. He just, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't know what the guy's about anymore. You know, the guy, he, he had always had been a very libertarian-leaning conservative. Now he's talking about sure. social justice. He'd always been a Republican. Now he's running as an independent. He manages on his website to never once mention the state of Maryland. He mentions he was a former county, a former Republican chairman, but never once mentioned he ran for governor, ran for Congress, and lived in the state of Maryland at all. I, you know, there's a certain type of person who just feels the need to run for office. And it's not that they're running for office because they have any like core of principle or core of values. Right. Um, like, like a core a pet issue. Like there are people, the rent is too damn high guy. You know, who I'm talking about, I, right? I, he's I run for office about. a zillion times, but he's right. got an issue. He wants to talk about his issues. People like that. People who run as libertarians all the time, people who have their issue and they're not really running to win. They're talking about running for their issue. Do you remember um, a Robert Kaufman? Do you remember him? No. Socialist Democrat ran in every freaking election, but he wanted to talk about socialism and he wanted to talk about his issues and he wanted leading candidates of the Democratic Party to talk about his issues. Those right. type of people I'm okay with. Those type of people I 
respect. But when you start talking about guys like Charles Lawler, I put him in the same boat as people like Ray Bly and same people boat as people like William Newton, who think that they are entitled to be a member of Congress or a member, an elected official, and are going to continue to run, run, run for that office without any sort of qualifications for that office and expecting that the third, fourth, fifth time is going to be different. Um, I, I don't have a whole lot of time for that. That fact that Lawler then w- packed up, went back to Georgia and abandoned his principles and abandoned the Republican Party speaks even greater volumes of his seemingly incessant desire to be elected official and prioritizing that over any sort of political lodestar or compass. Okay. Greg, I don't know what you, you have want to say about this. But... Feel, you feel better? No, he was he's a perennial candidate and he's looking to get elected. And there are a lot of people like that in politics. And I don't disagree with you. I, I don't get as worked up about it as you do, because I think, frankly, he had better chops than some of the people you mentioned. But you're right. Uh, there's a certain part. And it's true a little bit of everybody who runs for public office. But it's certainly true of people who run and run and run uh, that it's an ego trip. And that it's a it's an ego stroke and it's a van. Every campaign is a vanity campaign. Um, And I I think that's that's part of it. What I think when we were doing the things that I was more interested in, I thought were more relevant when uh, Mr. Lawler was running for governor was the people who thought that he would. I mean, there were people saying he was the only guy who could win. Uh, People like Blaine Young, who supposedly we've supported all these years. And these people were colossally out of touch with the electorate and had no idea what was going on with this campaign. And it was it was and we did bear some light on that because we did sit down with with Charles Lawler and we asked him questions. We did this interview. Len Lazarick was there with us as well. Mm -hmm. I wrote a piece after that and basically said, look, the guy's not ready for prime time, which he took great umbrage with and other bloggers thought we were in some sort of conspiracy against him or whatever. And it's just like, no, the guy, the guy doesn't understand what it takes to win a statewide election. It's not an easy thing to do in general. It's, it's particularly hard for Republicans in Maryland. This guy doesn't get it. I mean, he's a nice guy, looks good, fills the suit. And you know, he's, he's engaging when you talk to him, but he just doesn't get it. And there were people around him fawning all over him. And I think frankly, Part of it was there are people in our party who think the only way we can get the African-American vote is to have an African-American candidate. doesn't matter how many times that's disproven uh, because, you know, you got to actually engage uh, every community and you got to engage them on their own terms and 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 be real about it. Just having somebody who looks like them is is not going to. It's not the way to get their votes. It's kind of insane. As Larry Hogan has shown, by the way, given his tremendous, yeah. I, uh, overwhelming highs for a Republican candidate in the African American community. Right. So, so that was that. I think for me is the bigger lesson. Not so much Mr. Lawler himself, but but kind of what he, the light that he brought on to some of the, some of the, some corners of our party who has some really misguided ideas about what it takes to win. Um, the guy and a lot of people like him. He's a likable guy, um, but he's not a winner. And and, under, you know, this is this is one of the themes that we've had. And maybe this will be a great transition when we go to our next segment. This is one of the things we've had at Red Maryland over the years is, you know, we're not doing this, as I know many of you who are activists. We're not doing this just for the heck of doing it, because if that was the case, we'd go do something else, which, mm-hmm. you know, I mean. That we are now, so. <laughs> living living that um but you got to be able to win and that means being practical that means having people understand 
the nuts. And, Brian and I are both, you know, political science nerds with political science degrees and understand the nuts and bolts of the science of electoral politics. And there are a lot of candidates who just never get that. Um, right. Some who get it brilliantly and are wildly successful. The first name that would jump to my head is a guy like Justin Reedy, um, who, you know, literally when when he was, you know, 25 years old, was teaching people how to do this stuff. Now he's a state senator. He's going to end up being whatever he wants to end up being. Um, he gets it. And, you know, unfortunately, a Charles Lawler type didn't get it. And it was frustrating to see people who think he's this wonderful thing, that he's the secret ingredient. And it's like, you understand that that's not the case. So for me, that was the bigger part of that story. So I'm not surprised I, he is where he is, but I hope some people I, I learn something. I how a lot of the, the people, you know, I, I'm wondering, and we've seen it on some of our comments on Facebook, I'm wondering what a lot of the people who supported him in 2014 are saying now about his rediscovered wokeness and social justice warrior. Well, some of them on the comments on your piece, yeah. uh, some of them were, hey, he's a nice guy, leave him alone. Most of them were, oh, I can't believe this, you know, some obviously, you know, he burned bridges with them and had some bad feelings. And we know some of those guys. So, um, you know, it's it, it's interesting. But yeah. So there you go. And read so the whole story because it's interesting. Let's talk a little bit about the National Committee Women's Race. Um, yes. Which. This is the dumbest race that's ever happened. This well, is this is the stupidest election that's ever happened. This is another. Let me set it up. Okay. Before you do that, this is a topic I'm going to let you talk about because the whole thing is stupid. You don't care. Yeah. It's it's there's no prize for winning. There's nothing important of consequence in this race. So of course it's dumb and petty and personal. And if you find that amusing, you're going to enjoy the presentation Brian's going to give you right now. The floor <laughs> is yours, my friend. So the race for national committee one, Diana Waterman versus Nikolay Ambrose. Spoiler. I am for Diana Water, obviously. Um, everybody, I think, is aware of my uh, personal dislike uh, and distrust of Nicole Ambrose um, from the way she has treated me, telling lies, rumors, innuendos, whatever about me. She sur has surrounded herself with some really crappy people, and uh, she's in it for the attention uh, and uh, embellishing everything she does, pretending like she invented the Super Saturdays, for example. Um the difference I, I, I can turn over that unreleased podcast we did to the uh, to um, the duck pen if you want if you want to release it there. <laughs> save you some time. Um, needless to say, Nicolay Ambrose is not a good human being. I will say that straight up. And if anybody who doesn't like it, I don't care. Um, she treated me like crap. She treats other people like crap. She uses people. Okay. Ultimately. And, and I think Diana is a much better person, no matter what history that we have. And, and obviously there's a history with Greg having run against her for state party chairman. Um, Diana has always been somebody who puts the party first and has been on the up and up. OK, ultimately. The difference between Di and, and I say this as somebody who supports Diana because uh, she's a better human being than Nicole Ambrose. Ultimately, the difference between Diana and Nicole, as far as who fills the national committee woman's seat, probably isn't all that much. Okay, both have worked for the party, both know people at the National Committee. Diana's a better choice. But again, what's the prize here? The thing about this race is how this race has now become just about anything other than the two of them. Um, 
it's now turned into a, a, a intramural squabble between certain factions of the Republican Party. Partially, it's got to do. There was a video that was released the other day um, accusing Diana Waterman of being Brandon Cooper, the first vice chairman of the state party, of being never Trumpers. Hilarious, considering Nicolae Ambrose is the one who tried to derail Trump's nomination at the Republican Party convention in Cleveland four years ago. Be that as it may, whatever. But now you've got this squabble between the Trump campaign, like big Trump campaign, and Matt Adams and Gary Collins in the middle of it, and Brandon Cooper's in the middle of it, and now Dirk's in the middle of it with, with their cease and desist orders and this race, this race for national committee woman has become an avatar for all of the petty bickering in the Maryland Republican Party. It's not even an issue of who is the better national committee woman anymore. Because it's now turned into this just giant pissing contest between the Trump campaign and Matt Adams and people who may be mad with this person or who may be mad with this person it's a shame actually that we don't have an in-person convention to watch because i think the friday night of that convention would have been hilarious to watch um the convention obviously is in two is in a week and a half we'll decide who the um you know who, who the national committee woman is at that the problem is this this race and everything surrounding this national committee woman race has become an avatar for whatever problems people see in the Republican Party, whether people are mad at Matt Adams, people are mad at Brandon Cooper, people are mad at Diana, people are mad at Nickley, people are mad at Dirk, people are mad at Hogan, whatever. Um, you know, this this whole pissing contest between the Trump big Trump campaign and Matt Adams Trump organization, you know, whatever, that's between them. I don't understand what happened. I know that there are other dynamics here and factors there too. You know, Greg, when, um, when, when we talked about this race a couple of weeks ago, you said that it was a, you based on your experience running for state party chairman, that it was very similar to a class president election. Right. Middle school but, I mean, class election. Yeah. yeah. Middle school class election. This, this makes your campaign look like Kennedy Nixon, 1960. I mean, the difference in just, yeah, you know, because when you ran for state party chairman, you guys were talking about issues. You guys were talking about fundamental differences in how the Republican Party should be operating. For all the this there. is a personality contest between people right. who are now no longer even who aren't even in the race to start with. It's a it's a bad race. It's the show. weirdest, yeah. dumbest election I have ever seen. And by the way, I I I've resisted the temptation at this point, but you almost had a fight with Matt Adams. I think you have a bad relationship with Brandon Cooper. I mean. You, you know, you have I'm your, fine with you both have, of those guys now. now. Um, yeah. So, you know, you, you've had your own previous episodes in this soap opera as well. I, I just I you know, I hear what you're saying. I totally believe it. It's it's beneath these people, frankly, or it should be. It's silly. Um, and, um, you know, all of this over. Nobody the should care, frankly, going to win Maryland. Spoiler. Yeah, I don't think I don't think that was in play. So relax. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it's it's all going to be okay. All right. Yeah. All right. So there anyway, you go. let's let's bowl through. We're not. It's already let's bowl through because we because and I'll set this up as the next segment. Sure. 
We made our big announcement last week. It feels like a month ago. Uh, of course, every week. Time, time is moving at a glacial speed. It's, uh, it's not good. Uh, we made our big announcement that we're winding down. Many of you uh, were very gracious in the response. Um, we did get a little bit of, of media, which was, and, and Brian actually mentioned during the show, we got some. So uh, we'll talk a little bit about that. And we also got some got some of the comments we expected. And, and there were a couple comments um, on in the Facebook that if you were listening and Brian broke out the part where we talked about winding things down from last week's show that you could just see that part um you know god bless y'all you you went to facebook and kind of proved our point some of you and so we, we can talk about that as well but let's let's start talk about because we should thank people who were gracious to us Indeed. um first off maryland matters uh wrote a piece you mentioned it during the show mm-hmm. um the, the only quibble i would have and i don't want to be quibble because it was nice that they mentioned us and they said it was a big deal and we appreciated that uh they said that i was going back to my law practice full-time it's always <laughs> been full-time okay um you know i there there are still to this day a lot of people who have very huge misconceptions about what we do people who think we're a radio station or we're a newspaper or we've got you know big downtown offices somewhere or something uh, no i you know we have day jobs and this is a side thing but it was very nice to them our friend john Frenet, who mentions had very kind words he's a great guy uh, John and Tim are great friends. Um, the, you know, again, John, the practice is in Summer Park, not Glen Burnie. But that's a that's an easy mistake. I don't hold that against you. Thank you for your, you know, they're practically uh, the same. Sure. Um, <laughs> tell sure. somebody who goes, t- tell somebody who go, who lives in Severna Park that I live in Severna Park. No, I mean like Tony Severna Park, not. Oh, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> oh, I'm white trash Severna Park. Get out of here. No, you're normal Severna Park. Oh. White trash of Erna Park is Pasadena, where I live. Okay, well that's uh, it's Pasadena. <laughs> anyway, let's not get let's not get bogged down in that. Um, and a lot of people, you know, Todd Eberly said something nice about us, uh, which made me feel a little uncomfortable. But that was very nice of him to say. Mike Schwartz wrote a piece about us. Uh, Mike did. Um, he's out of the loop, Minor. obviously. Missed a couple. Missed a couple of conferences. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But that's okay. But that's again. He came to compliment, you know, the thing about Mike, God bless him, is he had to mention at the end of his piece that he came to compliment us, and, but and but he had to say that because the tone of the piece came off a little, you know, negative because he was always, because that's just him. It's just, you know, I don't want to dump on the guy. It was nice of him to to think about us and I hope he's doing well and, you know. Anyway, it's hard to be a writer when you write like an like an architect. I mean, that's you know that was always been my criticism of him is he writes like an architect. Um, but see, I shouldn't say things like that. But anyway, but then I don't know if you want to go to some of the. I, I don't know where you want to go from there because there oh, were sure. definitely because because the night the the positive is great. Our friend Scott Schaefer said some wonderful things, and and by the way, if you got your ballot here in Anne Arundel County. Uh, vote for him for school uh, school board as well as Corrine Frank. They're great. Red Maryland endorsed both. both absolutely. Mentioned in my column that posted today at the Capitol. Yeah, absolutely. They're they're both great, and these are the kind of candidates we wanted to get elected to the school board, and we knew if we had an elected school board, we could get people like that on the school board. So they had some very nice things to say. Um, but I'm not comfortable with the praise. I want to get into the negative because. <laughs> But but I want to give you a chance to to thank people as well, Brian. No, 
I know. I mean, I think you you've hit every hit the head. Okay. Um, Jimmy Braswell and and Paul Drogas mentioned us on uh, on their uh, their latest episode of um, yeah. JB's Drive-In. Yeah, podcast, somehow they're so. the last guy standing. See, I don't like to give them attention because they. they I don't know. Deserve it. They're they, not the last guy. You know, they walked they walked away for a bunch of years. So I was gonna say they kind of forgot when their you know their break off whatever network disappeared in like a year because whatever. It was a little longer. They gave them a little more credit, but they still took like a year off between the time that thing yeah, went under and the time started the new thing. Um, well, I, I, I only listened to the early part. Did they say something nice after the half hour discussion of wrestling? Is it in a movie podcast? What is that? Show it was 20 about? minutes. And then I, and I'd never seen the money pit. So I turned it off when the movie started. I don't want to talk. I don't want to hear about the movie. I want to hear about me. You know, um, and I tell Braswell this and he's like, oh, well, it's, you know, he makes it sound like it's some avant-garde performance piece that he's doing. I'm, I'm not like, one to talk break. because when I was on there doing Ready to Roll, oh, you, you, it was oh, like 45 minutes to get to the movie. So I'm I'm as yeah. guilty as anybody else. Yeah. I guess um, they wanted to take the day off when they invited you on the show because, well, I, you know, I can carry a load. Edgewise. So, um, <laughs> now I think that, uh, you know, what I, I was... Oh, I'm going to miss you, man. <laughs> it was interesting that just to see the reaction and, and to see it covered um, so extensively. Um, I was surprised by some places that didn't write about it, which is probably fine for them. They Nobody cares about them anyway. Um, but, uh, yeah, let's get I, know, in, let's I know get... who you meant, but I was thinking, you mean like the Baltimore Sun? Yeah. But anyway, nobody cares. Nobody cares about them either. Um so let's talk about some of the negative, Greg. I will. I will let you cue it up. Well, I, I want to get into some of the some of the Facebook comment. I mean, obviously there were sure. the, there were the haters who said, you know, don't let the door hit your ass on the way out. And this oh yeah, Fred Profiter, and, who's never done anything with his um, life, you know, other than lick, other than kiss ass for people who are you know, go go wave a sign. Somewhere. I didn't mean nobody, to tee up. Nobody cares for that. Nobody <laughs> cares about Fred Profiter. He's a loser. That is, is one of the I'm Trumpiest things I've ever heard you say, man. That was the that was absolutely one of the Trumpiest outbursts you've ever done. Well, good. Everybody on you. has known for years Fred Profiter is a loser long before Trump was even a Republican. He's a so. loser. You, you know, you're a disgrace. Sit down. That's great. Fantastic. Anyway, I'm I'm scrolling through our our page so we can sure. bring these up. But there was there were a couple comments that from people who I have no idea who they are. Uh, um, one was. Why are you doing this before November? Uh, a gentleman oh, by yes. the name of Lee Batman, who I don't know, na, Mr. Na, 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 Batman. I don't know the uh, uh, Mr. Ba- I think it was Batman, not Bateman. But no, it's Batman. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I don't know Mr. Batman personally. Um, he's some rando on Facebook, and obviously, I could tell just I could tell just from the comment that he one had did not read the FAQ because these were comments on the FAQ. The whole reason we did the frequently asked questions so that when people had questions, they would read it and get the answers. That's why you do frequently asked questions. So when you post it on Facebook, if you have questions, you click on the link, questions are answered. Okay. So I knew right away, number one, the guy was thinking we should say through the through November because of the presidential election, which is not going to be contested here in Maryland. So, I mean, wake up. And two... He obviously didn't read the thing to understand why, because one of the big reasons that we're sick of doing this is because we put all the work in the ad, into these articles and nobody even clicks the links to wit, Mr. Batman. So I let it go for a while and then I couldn't resist. And I went in and just asked, did you read the article? No, I'm busy. I'm working. 
I'm like, well, thanks for making our point. All your questions were answered in the in the. Well, watch your watch your tone. You might want to check your attitude. Yeah, you might want to check your attitude. Like, yeah, I'm going to check it right out of here, fella. And then we got and 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 by the way, if you go see these, click on their click on their uh, Facebook pages. I mean, these are people who have Facebook pages full of you know Trump memes. Mm-hmm. Okay, these are exactly kind of people. That just drive us nuts. And, you know, it's not worth doing this for people like who obviously aren't even paying attention to what we're doing or listening to what we're saying, but yet still feel the need to make comments and make criticisms. He was criticizing the fact that we're leaving without even having the slightest idea why we were doing what we're doing. And then there was another one in there, and I forget the woman's name here, because I do want to call these people out because I'm just, you know, if you want to understand why we're doing this. And I appreciated the the uh, and I appreciated Neil saying he gets it because, um, you know, I know he deals with that. I as will well. say this. And we did. Ahead, other priest too. Justin, Senator Reedy made some nice comments. Oh, he was I great. Think, that was very gracious. I think all of the legislators who have chimed in have kind of definitely indicated. <laughs> I get it. Um, yeah. 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 No, you're right about that. Here it is. Cindy Bond backing down and allowing liberals to control the media is going in the wrong direction. I'm sorry. I we only did this for 13 years, Ms. Bond. I'm sorry that's not good enough for you. You know, maybe you do the heavy lifting that we. How many podcasts have we done? Just podcasts, like 1,500, uh, 1,800, 1,800 podcasts, Ms. Bond. I think by the time that we, uh, by the time that we put the, uh, the the last show, I think would be will be number 1,803. In total, 18. of which only 400 in some are this show. That, talk about the refuge, talk about the broad Yeah, we've done a lot of other shows. The Jimmy yeah. Braswell experience and, and some of the well, shows that only... That. But, um, it counts. I mean, it's on it counts. there. Do you mean, and, and by the way, they took great umbrage with you suggesting you were the first to do video podcast. Do you want well, to Well, I was that? in 2007, remember? Brian Griffith's I, Minute. I remember the, the Brian Griffith's Minute. Yeah. I remember the Brian Griffiths minute, but obviously, you know, our dear friend yeah. Mr. Braswell and his gang of fools kind of forgot about that. Thought People forget just... innovators, Greg. People forget innovators. <laughs> Tell me about it. Um, so, yeah, so go check Ms. Bond. I mean, this is the kind of stuff, again, we expect it. And, you you know, you wonder why we say the more negative the better, because this is just, we're laughing at this. Um, yeah. Because, you know, the, the praise is very nice, and we know a lot of you appreciate what we do, and that was very kind, and... And um, I'm glad you appreciated the work that we did. You know, Brian's going to do his own thing. Maybe somebody else will step up with this. You hear things all the time. The reality is we've been hearing things for years and years and years. And things kind of sputter and start and don't go anywhere. I think one of the things that we're proudest of that we can hang our head high when we're done is that we stuck to it. We did it. We kept it going. We did this show every week. We did posts, whatever. It wasn't always easy. People came, people went, but we kept this yeah. machine rolling for 12 years, 13 years. Yeah, I think people realize, just start to think about how hard it is to actually be fresh and to have to have new content. I mean, yeah. the number of people, I, can, I, sh- I sh- probably should go back and count. I think people don't realize that over the years, I think there have been a total of, what, 80-some people have contributed something to this enterprise. Yeah. And... I mean, there, um, there are people... And we can tell the story. There are people who are contributors to our website who don't even know who we are, like Ambassador Ellen Sauerbrey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She was a contributor to our website. 
Go ask yeah. her if she knows who Red Maryland is. She didn't know me when I ran for State Party, Jerry. I can tell you that. And that was seven years ago. Yeah. And there are people who did one post and then left. There are people who we yeah. asked to be contributors and made a big deal of it and they never wrote anything. Right. There are people, Greg, Greg's talked to, oh God, I can't remember how many people you've talked to over the years about joining the, po- joining the podcast. Oh, um, well, yeah, I mean, you know. We're not going to name names. But. No, no, I'm not going to name names either. But th- that's another thing. People, oh, I want to do a podcast. Great, let's do it. We're totally supportive. Let's do it. And, you know, people get busy and they don't. It's hard to do. It's hard to have the discipline to do this mm-hmm. uh, week after week after week, year after year after year after year. No. Especially when you're self-motivated. So, no. and, and we're not making any money doing it. So this is on top of whatever else we do in our lives. It, 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 it can be. A grind. It. I think for the vast majority of the time we were doing it, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. I think that's changed a little. A little bit. I mean, we still have fun doing this, but, yeah. but it's 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 not as fun as it used to be. Um, you know, and the Cindy Bonds of the world don't help. I'm just saying, uh, or whatever her name was. Um, you know, <laughs> they kind of suck the soul out of you a little bit. Um, so I mean. It, I hope somebody does come along. Somebody could. Hey, it's wide open, man. It, it's wide yeah. open. And and we talked about it before. There's no reason why we shouldn't have a conservative-funded outlet to compete with Media Matters. We absolutely could. Um, we've Nobody shown, wants to stroke the check. Yeah, we've shown that without any budget, hardly, and I know many of you helped us out and contributed and whatever, but, you know, we ran this on a very tight budget. This was not a yeah, there, for-profit There's a enterprise. difference... There's a difference between us keeping it alive as a passion project and the patrons. And look, as Greg said, we love the patrons. We love everybody who ever gave us a check, everybody who bought a ticket to the conference, everybody who bought advertising. Right. But people had this – and continue to have, believe it or not – this expectation. Um, There was a call we got a couple of weeks ago from a candidate. We could play the clip if you want. I don't care. Um, no, it's who, not worth it. Yeah, no, I know who talking. wanted our advertising, who called our office and right. wanted to talk to our advertising representative. One of our account executives. Our account executives right. about advertising. Right. And there's just, the, I, I think to a extent it's a compliment. Yeah, no, I think. People think we're that good. Yeah, I think when people <laughs> and that think. we're making all this I, money. I think when people think we're a radio station, they hear red maryland radio maybe they've heard the show somewhere and they think oh well what station are you on that's part of it now people that's part people didn't know what podcasts were i think people get to get to know that a little bit better. No, and it was an extension of the wamd show too and we and at the time back when we started this we wanted to jump back to terrestrial radio um yeah and still do i you know that you know and and i you know i'm not going to give that whole story but we, we we've oh, tried we have time over, still not today but we've, we, we we've can do tried it we've tried over the years and, and fits and starts to get on there and and you know obviously what we do on the eastern shore with with um gmd is a great relationship that of course we um and we have friends at bal and and mm-hmm. you know maybe some enemies too i don't know um but um but you know we've had that we've even been on WCBM. I don't know. Sometimes I think we're too CBM for BAL and too BAL for CBM. Maybe that's just me. I don't know. That sounds about right. Um, but anyway, such is life. Such is our lot in life. So I, I just wanted, I, I just wanted to take the opportunity again to thank everybody who had kind words and everybody who did. We thanked. So it's not like. Yes. It, 
I follow my own advice. When I when I say when people ask you a happy birthday on Facebook, you say thank you. Everybody who sent us a message, we said thank you. Craig um, is literally the only person I wish a happy birthday to on Facebook because I know he'll get on me if I if I don't. Well, no, I won't get on you. No, see, that's not true. I won't get on you if you don't wish me a happy birthday. I'll get on you if I wish you a happy birthday and you don't thank me. Well, you're if, the only person I actually go on my Facebook wall and thank on my birthday. Well, there you go. Because you're so polite. You go. You're polite. You're not like Andrew Langer, who's too important. Only to you. He has. Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> you know, he's too important. He has too many, too many. He's just, he's just, uh, you know, he's a wash and well wishes. And so he's got to do it. Matt, we didn't do that. We got a lot of people who thanked us. We thanked you individually. I also wanted to thank you all for that. For, and, and nobody's, uh, we're not fishing for that. So you don't feel like if you didn't send us one, you got to. No, no. That wouldn't hurt. Um, but uh, I definitely, I definitely enjoyed the negative ones as well. I yeah, mean, there were definitely the some people who were time. happy because there's always people who don't get it. Or there's always people who think they know what's going on. And you know what? Go kick around somebody else to, to, to finish up your point, though. Yeah. About I, I don't think we've kind of got to the point. You know. How is Red Maryland? Pay? I always made the joke when we would go out to talk to people. How is Red Maryland you know, funded? And I'd pull out my wallet and show them like pull out my credit card. And kind of make yeah. the point. It's like we're paying for this for the most part. Um, yeah. It'll got, it has gotten to the point where I think everything will have been reimbursed from our 13 years. I think, I think, so. well, for the, you know, we haven't been keeping an accounting because we've yeah. been contributing and a lot of people have been, a lot, but, but even that is a very low budget. I mean, yeah, I mean, th that's what I'm saying. Um, the, the, the big step to get you to a Maryland matters is you got to be able to have people who do this full time. If somebody was able to pay us, of course, Brian and I have incredibly successful careers, make huge salaries, so it would be impossible to match. But if you, if you right. wanted to pay somebody to do it full time, that's a whole nother level. Um, that takes money and buy, there's more than enough money out there. Let me um, put it this way. We couldn't probably make Maryland for based on how much money we have spent over the course of this enterprise, right? I don't think we could pay Maryland Matters payroll for a month. Yeah, no, I think that's right. I think it's hundred yeah. percent right. I mean, you know, we were happy last year because we cleared for like the leadership conference because we cleared five figures as far as like ticket sales and sponsorships and stuff like that. And right. even then, we barely made a profit. <laughs> you know, uh, no, that's right, that's right. We and, we and we were happy with that because we it wasn't a profit making venture. And we yeah. had a great event. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I appreciate the fact that people think that this is some sort of full-time endeavor who think that we've, that we're so good that we've got staff and account executives and stuff like that. When yeah. people wanted to talk to an account executive, they talked to me yeah. or Greg or, yeah, or me, you know, yeah. if they want to talk radio about, you know, I, 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 and I guess we should be flattered. People think we have a radio station, but. And by the way, my the program director, they talked to Greg. Yeah. By the way, I've been to a number of radio stations. Um, some of them aren't any better than my office. Many, many I've been. You and I have been to some that are worse that we've been on. Uh, some of them are nice. But, you yeah. know, it's it's. Uh, yeah. But, you know, that's why I laugh when Marilyn Matters says I'm going to go practice law full time now. Well, I was, I was always doing it full time, Josh. Um, that was the problem. So the fact that we got as much done as we did, um, I think, I think is a testament to. Yeah. 
to that. And a lot of and, you and appreciate way, that. And by the way, the duck pin is going to be the same way as far as budget goes. I mean, if, if somehow, some way it turns a profit someday. Well, if you had some secret financier that I didn't know about, I'd have been upset. So I, that's fully no. what I expected. Not no. that, not, and if you do have one, good on you. Somebody wants to invest in that, Mr. Guys. So let them have it. That's what I say. I'm uh, yeah, I mean, it, I, if, if somebody wants to write a check, I'll listen. But right. um, I also know if somebody had written a check a long time ago, you probably we probably wouldn't be ending this in five weeks. And, and to that point, because we brought it up before, <laughs> it came up during the show. Yeah, I know. Um, somebody came to me. I, I forget who I was talking to. I was like, oh, well, what are you guys going to do with, you know, Red Maryland? It's a valuable... You know, that's a that's a valuable uh, um, brand. And I'm like, well, we value it very highly. It, we know that people identify with it. Value is kind of a, you know, it, it's kind of a vague. If you're talking money, no, I don't think it is. It never was. It wasn't intended to be. If someone wanted to buy the brand and monetize it, one, they would ruin it. It'd be like, you know, it'd be the old. Um, gain the world but lose your soul kind of thing to, to try. And even then, um, this, what we do here, what we're about, the value that it has um, is not going to be making money, which is why people don't do what we do um, for profit. And that's why, well, not many, some do, but it's a different, they're in a different space, you know. Well, um, they don't do. The people who are, they're the people who are doing the stuff we don't want to do, which is talk about Trump all day. Well, that's what I'm saying. The yeah. People aren't going to do what we do. Um, for, this is a very small right. niche. And you, and, and you have to be the over the top. You know, you have to be angry. You have to be talking to the Trump super fans all the time. Yeah. And, you know, you got to do the Dan Bongino shtick to make it to, to, to make it work. Um, to You know, but it's the reason that then, you know, Maryland Matters isn't making money. Right. That's not okay? their model. They're a foundation. Yeah, they're a nonprofit foundation. And because Porter's not making money, they sell right. advertising, but they have grants too. I don't, I don't think right. that I don't think Lens ever made a whole lot of money off of that deal. I mean, you have to keep right. the lights on, pay the bills, and stuff like that. And by the way, Maryland Reporter rather has been tremendously successful at keeping the lights on for as long as they've left. You know, eleven years or something. They're they're up there with us in age. Um, and and so Len does tremendous. A, and Len does a great job, and he's been a friend to us. And uh, usually. <laughs> We've had our tiffs with him, to be sure, yeah. to be sure. But, uh, you know, he's he's uh, I, I think he's a little more down the line. He tries to be a old classic journalist, you know, because he's not getting Soros money. But whatever. There is nobody that. nobody wants to hear that. But it'll be on red for a while. So anyway, I don't know where yeah. we were going with this, except to acknowledge like we were talking reaction. about how how the brand probably doesn't have value. But look, if somebody wants it, to stroke a pack with a lot of zeros, we'll listen. Yeah. Yeah, we, we would. It, it has tremendous value to us. And I think it had tremendous value in what we were doing. And to and people who were thanking us, like like Delegate Parrot and other uh, folks who were thanking us for what we did. We appreciate that. It, it does Indeed. mean something to us because that's, you know, not that we were in it for the praise. We were in it because we believed in it, but praise is all we got. So, Indeed. Why don't we put a hey, uh, bow on this episode? Yeah. It's a good place to wrap it up. Thank you, everybody, for watching. Thank you, Delegate Parrot, for joining us. Check out uh, parrot2020.org for information yes. about his congressional campaign. Red Maryland endorsed, of course. That's right. Go to redmaryland.com. You've gotten your ballot. Go learn about all the primary stuff. Uh, people, candidate surveys, interviews, and more at redmaryland.com. Just click on the link that says 2020 primary. By the way, redmaryland.com, the home base for all things 
Red Maryland. If you like what we're doing here, if you like this show, tell a friend. If you like me, go to theduckpin.com and sign up for my new site, which will, have, of course, have a, a broader focus, but will talk about, uh, you know, will talk, have a, a role for, for state and local politics as well. Um, Facebook.com slash Red Maryland, Instagram at Red Maryland, Twitter at Red Maryland. Please share it. Look, people don't know what's going on still. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we'll never the we'll, that we're fighting. Right. We'll never be able to do enough. So whatever you're doing, but do your part. Double it. Share yeah. With your friends, family, neighbors, colleagues, coworkers, in-laws and outlaws. Um, you know, just share it and let people know what's going on. If you want to drop tremendous praise on us or tremendous criticism on us. Yes. And as you can tell, we will listen to both. Yeah. Redmaryland at gmail.com is the email address. The call it back and text number 410-205-4875. What's that number? 410-205-4875. And we will feature your comments on a future, but not too far in the future, episode of Red Maryland Radio. And don't forget, Final thoughts. Don't forget to remind people about the poll. Vote in our poll. Oh, yes. We can't wait for those comments. Oh, yes. We've already gotten comments about people who don't understand most valuable conservative of the Red Maryland era and least valuable conservative right. of the Red Maryland right. era. People who think that Larry Haynes should be on the list, even though he has not done anything in politics for 10 years, amongst other things. Right. Um, though I appreciated Don uh, Don Murphy's comment on Facebook talking about how hard the, you know, how he was thinking about voter fraud for the first time because uh, he there's so many good candidates for least valuable conservative. Yeah, which was funny. Yeah. Don's a good guy. Final thoughts? Uh, thanks for everybody. Thanks for all the, the support, all the kind wishes. Thanks for the negative stuff, too. At least we appreciate, you know, we just like the attention, I guess. Yeah, we like knowing that we live in your little piece of your mind. <laughs> it's a very and expansive that, place. But... And that you are so easily forgotten. Um, so that's what I would say. Thank you all. Thanks for listening. For, for everybody here, I'm Brian. He's Greg. You have been listening to Red Maryland Radio on the Red Maryland Network. Oh.